Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. This is episode 12 of From Sparks to Skyscrapers. It's an honor to be here today with Roger Lee of Roger Lee Arts. Roger, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Joe. How are you? Doing fantastic. Uh, you are a very, very impressive person. You know, looking at your resume, um, you know, I love talking to entrepreneurs and you are about as serial of an entrepreneur uh, as, as I could imagine. So looking at your resume, you know, you, like I said, you've always been involved in entrepreneurship education. You've always had that entrepreneurial spirit. What point in your life did you realize you were destined to be an entrepreneur? Well, first, I do want to thank you for this opportunity and a kind warm intro. I appreciate it. And um, yeah, I'm about to be an entrepreneur. It took me a really long time to say that, weirdly. Um, I always just said, oh, I'm just creative. I'm just innovative, but it really took some uh, ventures and experiences to really hunker down and say, I'm entrepreneurial and that's okay. Some people will get it. Some people won't get it. Those two are men who will and will work together, right? But um, yeah, I'm proud to be an entrepreneur now. And I always tell folks that kind of started really young um my parents told me this right they said like first show when unquote was a as a four-year-old you had a shoe box or you had some action figures in there you painted the sides of the box as a backdrop and then you charged like 25 cents for the tickets i mean if you paid and your friends paid and uh, i always laugh at that story because i think it just kind of sums up the, like the drive was always there for me i just didn't know what was that um as i progressed right and started to like teach my own dance produce violent shows I thought well this is just what people do this is just like creative work but it took some decades later to the rise that it was entrepreneurial so I think I've always had the spirit of it but um started living you know an actual entrepreneur's life a little bit so I guess just for people that don't know then uh because you mentioned the dance thing can you explain what you do do for people um just that may not know absolutely so I've been dancing for a long time, started at 12 years old. Um, my mom took me to an audition for a local news network who was looking for kid and teen dancers to kind of boost up ratings. And I was one of those teens that worked it. Um, the only guy out of eight dancers. And we had over 300 audition. And they were phenomenal. They were from all across the tri-state. They had a lot of training. I had none. I uh, just knew how to kind of dance the block parties kind of thing, natural rhythm. But, you know, for some reason they picked me and uh, the rest was destined right when here we are like definitely 22 23 years into this professionally now so um started out just as a dancer and grew into the role of a choreographer so somebody who actually makes dances for other dancers to perform uh, for me though i always see as the good like singer songwriter i've always been the dancer slash choreographer so i'm normally a part of the works that i create uh from there i became a teaching artist meaning that i taught dance I uh, started teaching it in the middle of school gym at a really young age. Uh, other signs athletics, started a dance class for them. And after college, you know, just started doing this professionally all across Pennsylvania, New York, and New Jersey area. I reached some really high heights on that side of the field and then started my own professional dance company as actual choreography, but also there's the yearning to create a really positive dance environment and one that was positive for dancers mentally and physically. And, you know, throughout my journey, I just learned that um, every dance environment was not possible. Someone wanted to be the change to the desire and said, well, let's start this company. And here we are 12 years later. Yeah. And, you know, talking about founding Roger Lee Arts, um, you know, some of the challenges that you faced along the way, you touched on it a little bit there. But in terms of like the true challenge and, and you know, building a culture is hard for a company. 
Uh, and and for, like and like you mentioned, a lot of dance companies and a lot of you know choreographers, whatever you you might have, it it's not a positive environment. So can you kind of explain the challenges that you faced trying to build that culture and any other challenges that you faced building the company as a whole? Absolutely. So start with the culture. Uh, the biggest challenge I faced with the culture is that people were so used to the negativity that they didn't know how to appreciate the positivity. And that was interesting to me because everybody kind of agreed as a collective, they're like, yes, we want a more positive environment. But then when I started offering it, people almost thought it was like, too good to be true or there was a catch or they're like, this does not feel like what I'm used to. And I had to tell them, I said, it doesn't feel like what I'm used to either. Right? Yeah, I've some real, real stories. Um, but, you know, it was just hard to get people to understand that we're still a professional company. I'm still a strong leader. But I'm also a really kind-hearted person and I have a really unique perspective on this work and a unique approach. So because I'm not yelling at you, because I'm not doing certain things, does that mean I don't care and that I'm not a strong leader, I'm just leading in my own way. And I think it took a few years of establishing, you know, that trust and confidence in people and having a real track record, getting the media features and performing, you know, for vice presidents and all that. Like, all right, he leads differently and he is kind and this feels really different than what I'm used to, but it works and it feels good and I want to be here. So, you know, and think that the challenge kind of get off in the end. But to answer your second question, I think the biggest challenge for starting a company as a whole was really making a name for ourselves. And people say that all the time, right? Make a name for yourself with the way I see that as a former dance publicist is really like, how do you make a name for yourself that stands out, cuts through the clutter, right? And in the dance world, we know it's extremely competitive. There are so many people doing the same work. And for me, I said it makes more sense to partner with folks, right? And to lift up other people's strengths so they can lift up ours and work together and still build like a unique brand and a niche. So I wasn't afraid to like do those partnerships and to really stand all what we do that's different from other people. And what I saw was like a lot of people were starting companies. They were trying to emulate the greats. And what I wanted to do was appreciate the greats out of the greats, understand that we're standing on their shoulders as the foundation, but to say this is Roger Lee Dance Company. We do things differently. This is our unique artistic point of view. And Joe, I have to say it has served me really well not just with the dance film, maybe like my dance teaching career and my choreography, having a really unique, distinct point of view. So I say all that to encourage other entrepreneurs that as you're building any type of venture, whether it doesn't matter what industry, right? Always just go with the unique side of it. Go with what makes you different. Don't veer away from it because that's when people know this, when people write about you and want to talk about you. So it'd be unique. Yeah, that's great. And I love that line. People are so used to the negativity too, where it's like, you have to really build that back up. I, so entrepreneur, I, I put this in there uh, and, and this is a question that I'm excited to ask. Entrepreneurship is one thing, but entrepreneurship in the arts is a whole other animal because you mentioned the tech stuff, right? There's a lot of funding, a lot of VC available for tech, right? Not necessarily the case in the arts, right? How do you manage that? What were some strategies you used? And, you know, starting a business in the arts is amazing. And there's so many people that want to do so, but they just don't know how because of that very problem. Um, can you just speak to that a little bit? Absolutely. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah, the arts and culture industry, the entertainment industry, right? Those are kind of like the two that you know, employ uh, most artists and the two are like most art expenditures. Rest in. 
And those industries are not linear. So like you said, with other industries, right? You just have straight up ladder. You have VCs, you have all this mentorship and leadership development and things. We don't really have that. And I think for those of us who are lucky enough to figure it out, a lot of the times it was on our own. And it's something to that, right? Like it's great when you can learn something from experience, but you know it, you have it, and you, but it also wastes a lot of time, money, and energy. So one of my dreams is always to like give back to the industry in this way and say like, what can we do to help other artists and arts professionals, arts entrepreneurs have an easier, smoother transition. And that's what I do now, right through the business. Part of what we do is actually career coaching and consultations for artists so that they don't have to waste as much time on the energy, just trying to figure this thing out on their own. Um, but yeah, so the other part of your question, right? How did I do it? As I was building, I was really determined to go the self-funded bootstrap route for sure. And that was really, really intentional because I understand that when you're starting an arts business or a company and a profit, right? Which most companies tend to be. And you are the choreographer, that artistic director, that founding person. For me, I wanted to ensure a hundred percent that I was maintaining full ownership, not just of my artistic voice, but also of my artistic product. So I was really hesitant to seek out outside funding in the early years because I said, well, you know, I don't want somebody to change my vision, right? I'm very clear on what I want to do, how I want to do it. And I don't want any interference with that. So I decided to go the self-funded route. And of course there's limiting in some ways, right? Because you only have so much funding. I was somebody that was like teaching dance for a living at the time. So I was really, really tight budget, bootstrapped. But along the way, I said, well, I don't want to do, you know, venture capital route, but maybe there's something that sponsorships, right? Corporate sponsorships for these shows I'm doing because they're getting a lot of people in the audience and I was getting a lot of media coverage. I think our first season I had over like 25 media features, which I was really proud of because I didn't have a publicist. It was me, right? So um, what I said was, okay, let's start doing a corporate sponsorship program so that there will be some outside funding support without other folks having equity and ownership that worked really well for me working with a few costume companies and entertainment-based companies that were a lot bigger than us and at a different level. And they were like, oh, that's all you want us to pay for this? And, you know, we get back this marketing value and we could reach a new, you know, startup in this way and a more urban audience. Sure, count us in. So that was my version of seeking funding. Uh, but another thing I decided to do was to give that in that late. And I became a panelist for many arts and culture and nonprofits and foundations who were giving big bucks yeah. to other artists and nonprofits. So I sat on a lot of those panels um, in Baltimore, Harrisburg, Philly, and really helped decide, you know, which artists and which arts organizations want to get funding, which ones, you know, should be invited to apply to like the bigger grant programs. And then along the way, you know, folks were, oh, you're really good at this. Like, you actually apply the grant makers and the leadership of these councils to help them out with the actual application requirements. So it's really proud to say that, you know, although I didn't go that route of seeking, you know, foundation support with grants because we're not a nonprofit. And because I didn't go with the VC, I'm kind of sandwiched right. in my own lane head again. But I made sure to um, kind of venture into those lanes more as an advisor just to learn about it and know about it and help others. That's awesome. That's, I mean, it's fascinating to hear about. Uh, and you talk a little bit about in there about your, your your experience now, like moving into almost the not you're not you know not quite the educational space, but more of 
you know, the facilitating space of, of trying to bring other companies up. As you were at Penn State Brandywine, I want to hear about that experience because I know, is that how you connected with Maureen? Do you, or do you know? Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, that's a great question, Jeff. So Maureen and I, we connected, I believe, originally, I was on LinkedIn, but we also brought us very quickly that we have this Arsinus connection. I'm a proud Arsinus Bear, class of 2010. Yeah. And I was a dance major. And uh, Maureen also graduated from Arsinus, was doing a lot with entrepreneurship. And I remember this was about 10 years ago. She actually invited me to the campus. I was one of four folks, and we were analysts for this conversation that was about entrepreneurial success stories. And I just had like the best time really settling into the folks who were there and my like network panels. I just started a really awesome relationship. So um, yeah, we they connected uh, for about a decade. So I can't believe how quick to kind of flies. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, so then I guess in that case, so then talk about Penn State Brandywine, your, your entrepreneurial education uh, experience um, and just kind of what advice you give to a college student, I guess, that is graduating like me and has no idea what they want to do. Sure. And that's natural, by the way, right? That's what college is for in my eyes. I think it's a really great like, oratory period for you all to figure out hey, what do I think I want to do because trust and believe that may change, right? Most of us don't end up within our major and that's really okay. So I just want to... Yeah. Appreciate um, it. Of course. With the backtrack, right? I think I uh, just want to explain a little bit more about my entrepreneurship journey because and State, for me, in a lot of ways, was the culmination of a lot of other experiences and I want to be very transparent about that because I think sometimes folks just the uh, where somebody ended up, right? Or like the pinnacle of a thing and they're like, oh, that's great, but they don't understand like everything step by step process. And I really think it's important for college students to understand that it's step by step, right? Um, so in my case, right, well, before I was an executive at such a large university, I started out as an adjunct professor teaching dance, right? That was about pouring into higher education nine years ago. So it's just really important to kind of give some context to all of them, right? So I started teaching dance at Temple University nine years ago. That's took me to Eastern University where they brought me in to teach an arts and community and economic development course for graduate students from around the world. It was an awesome opportunity. Then I met the director of their dance program there. She's like, what are you doing over there? You should be over here teaching dance for us. So ended up uh, doing that the next academic year there. And then had a really unique opportunity to go back to alumni, alma mater. So in addition to work with this, I went to Drexel University for graduate school and studied the arts administration. And what ended up happening was that the school created the nation's first degree-granting school of entrepreneurship. And I thought that was so amazing. I was a little bit sad because it happened after I graduated. And I'm like, why did you guys not have this <laughs> as an option at the time? But I was happy for the next generation too. And what was amazing about the show was that this was the first time that there was a school for entrepreneurship independent of a business school. So to give that context, this was not an entrepreneurship program. This was not a, just a minor, just a major. This was his own school bowl in his home building yeah. with his own dean and faculty, and you could earn a bachelor's degree or a master's degree at the time. And now there are many other degree options there. I just thought that was so cool. And it was about, let's say like, three years into me having a master's degree. So it's like, hey, I'm going to come in and teach. I remember giving the founding dean my TED talk. And she was like, come in unless I have a conversation. And it was so cool about that as it turned from a conversation into a five-year experience. I started off as the adjunct professor there and was invited to be an entrepreneur residence at the student incubator where 
I helped advise, you know, the launch and growth of over 200 student startups, right, at an undergrad levels. And then from there, they created a full-time position for me. And that was the first position that was dedicated solely to K-12 entrepreneurship with a real focus on high school. And I was so excited at the chance because, um, you know, just to be able to sell into the next generation entrepreneurs and run like pitch competitions for them in summer camps. You know, this, this is yeah. amazing. I did that for three years and then COVID-19 started. <laughs> yeah. And I continued to do that job. We were doing that job virtually, right? And instead of just, you know, only doing that, my entrepreneurial spirit kicked in. And I said, well, what else can I do to expand in this arena? Ended up at uh, Temple University again, right? So I remember I taught there for dance previously, but this time I was bought on as the startup business consultant to work in their small business development center, which is a part of a statewide program, which in turn is a part of like a actually United States based program. And that was cool. Worked with a lot of startups in the COVID-19 era and really helped them launch and incorporate. And that was again at the very beginning of like 2020. So that felt good. And then also the opportunity to go to the University of the Arts where they said, hey, can you come in and help us revise our existing business minor? So what I did, I actually conducted some research on national trends in business that for arts, sports, and then came back with the idea of like, let's take entrepreneurship and make that the new academic focus area for this minor. So when you come here, you're not just learning making business skills in general, you're actually learning about entrepreneurship, leadership, and career development within this minor. So did all that 2021 and then I took a year off from higher ed and that was hard for me, right? Cause I had like seven year like momentum, like building, yeah. building, but I decided to actually go back into the nonprofit realm for a bit because I was invited from the first black publicist of Philadelphia Ballet, which is historic. This was during their 60th season. Yeah. And so that was an opportunity I could not pass up for. Congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you so much. And that was a dream, right? That was another yeah. thing that was like, I was building a dance career, simultaneously building this like education career, but never knew that I would end up, you know, the ballet as a publicist. So yeah, you never know where life will take you. And um, great experience there. Then had the opportunity to return to higher ed, but this time as an exec. And I was invited to become the director of innovation and entrepreneurship at one of the Penn State University's campuses. And as you know, you know Penn State is a, the state's largest public university and our campus was small but mighty. Had that opportunity to run a startup incubator off campus, and then bring our students, faculty, and staff into the fold. So it was such a unique, awesome opportunity because it was community meshing with the campus, and that was really unheard of. So, yeah, you know, it's been a journey, but to be at Penn State, I think, really showed me the power of entrepreneurship education for students, but not just students. It's also about community members, and again. Can students and community meet in the middle somewhere so that they're employing each other, they're funding each other. I just had the opportunity to really do more of that connection building that I never had the opportunity to do before that. Yeah. I mean, these answers are just freaking gold mines. This is awesome. Loving this. Uh do you 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 think, you know, when you're in college at our sinus, so like let's flash way back now, right? like are you like thinking you're going to leave and start a business immediately? Are you sitting there thinking I like where kind of I'm at? Like, I don't really know. Cause I know you mentioned you've all like from when you were a little kid, you loved dance and you, you know, you're just read, just having rhythm, but it's, but it takes something to go from that natural inclination towards something 
to being like, all right, I'm graduating college. I'm going off into the real world. What the hell am I going to do? I'm so happy you said that because uh, it was absolutely my experience. And I was so much like you, uh, although I knew I loved dance, doing it for a bit at time. I didn't know where it would take me. Right. And this is really my advice to students is always like take it a day at a time, a month at a time. Then you rise, I'm at one year. Cool. And then you take a year at a time. Oh, I'm in year two. I'm a sophomore now. And I'm a junior. Then I did some fellows. I'm a senior. Like, so you have to take things a step at a time because it becomes so overwhelming when you look too far into the future, too young. And I see more and more now every year students are building more pressure. Now, if it's like families or well-attended, you know, advisors and professors or combination of all of that and just society in general. But I see a real growing pressure now where students feel like they have to have it all figured out once they get there. And again, that could be part of just inflation, part of like increased prices to move in higher and all that. But I encourage students to kind of take a step back for a minute and say, okay, what do I like to do? What can I see myself potentially doing in the future? And then where am I today? And once you know where you're at today, then saying, all right, where do I need to be tomorrow, the week after that? And then you can start setting some things in stone. But give yourself the grace of time and understand that like things absolutely change. And you know, the global pandemic came out of nowhere, right? Things just happened in life. So like I think a lot of people, especially your in your generation, my head goes off to being college students during all that. It's like, yeah, you inherited some really hard stuff and you're figuring it out. So it's okay to pivot, it's natural. All that to say, when I was a scientist, right? I had no intention necessarily of starting a business. I saw myself more as like a choreographer that would probably choreograph for other folks, other companies. I didn't know that I would necessarily have my own. And I also didn't understand that doing that would have still made me a business owner. I would have been a freelancer. <laughs> so that was like traveling to New York or New Zealand and choreographing. It's like, it still was business. But I didn't see it like that. And I was really laser focused on just choreographing for boats and hopefully joining somebody else's company and was really satisfied with just that. Um, was a dance major, right? So I danced in every percentage college, uh, dance company show. I uh, was the president of Escape Velocity, the student-run company since I was a sophomore. So I did that for three years to their scientists and really learned the process of dance and how to produce shows and balance and blah, blah, blah. So I used those years to figure out what I liked, <laughs> how to explore what I liked under somebody else's budget and somebody else's these right and then just took it a day at a time from there opportunity by opportunity but like you said to come and go from this big advanced major to addict like a communication studies major or something over influence with that one hey, like you're in yeah it's a great program absolutely yeah. amazing but um end up with a double major but all that to say like i didn't expect to be doing what i'm doing now and most people don't <laughs> right there's almost always some kind of iteration on it course i'm still performing choreograph and that's still a big part of my life but it's not my only life and i think folks need to give themselves the grace of time and just understand that life will change and that's part of the fun of it if we knew what we'd be doing 10 20 years out would it really be as fun of a journey probably not probably not probably not um i i saw so a couple more for you here um just kind of i i wish i had actually gone to this question a little bit earlier when you were talking more about the penn state brandywine stuff but I want you to talk about the Revolution School um, and your role there and, and kind of all the awesome things that they're doing. Absolutely. Yeah, so I'm mean, really excited to be a part of the Revolution School. It's almost a startup with NSL. Um, they launched 2019, right? Their first group of students, right? During the first 
part of COVID, right? So they really have a unique startup story, but it's an amazing school where students learn about academics, but they also learn about career and future readiness, entrepreneurship. And that's what really attracted me to it as a private high school in Philly. It's really unique and have like, again, a really amazing team of educators and administrators or these members who really come together to make this possible. And the parents and the students, it's just such a community feel over there. And in my role, they actually brought me on as the first director of entrepreneurship and future ready engagement. So it was really fitting for me. Uh, I actually went in to give a motivational speech to the students and kind of left out with the position that was created. So, you know, it was a real blessing that they had. And then, you know, so far it's just been really enjoyable teaching, but also helping students build their own startup. Uh, they came up with a really unique revenue generating internship program that's going to officially launch in January. But right now we are in the beta phase and it's just been a journey, you know, like I said, to be continued because we're still building this thing as we speak. But yeah, it's really a combination of uh, everything I've done to the point where I'm even teaching a dance class. So wow. it's all kind of come full circle in this position and I'm very grateful. It's funny how those things work out where, you know, you do a bunch of a uh, bunch of things, bunch of things, bunch of things, and then something comes along where it just it it, it meshes all of that perfectly. Um, and I I see that all the time. I think that that's great. Um, okay, last question here. And this is like just pure curiosity for me. And after talking to you for this long, I totally understand why. But you gave a TED talk. Uh, can you talk about that experience? What did you give the TED talk on? How were you asked? I am just fascinated by TED talks in general, so I want to know all about it. Well, thank you so much. And me too. I was like, and still I'm such a huge fan that it's a, still kind of shocked even eight years later. I'm like, that really happened. But uh, yeah, Ted is amazing. And all how this came to be was uh, connections, right? And I like to be very transparent so students can understand this, like the power of connection. It's one thing when you know what you can do. It's another thing when other people know what you can do. And folks have to know you, they have to trust you, and they absolutely have to like you. And, you know, all that comes together to form a really strong network. And the power of a network is that folks can introduce you to their connections as well. So you grow up Julie, but they also have the opportunity to recommend you for awesome opportunities. And a lot of my career success can be attributed to that, right? Having the skills, having the passion, all that, but also having folks who are in my corner and recommending me and selecting me and fighting for me too. So it takes a team, it takes a network, it takes people to believe in you. So I just wanted to say that, right? I'm really standing on a lot of people's shoulders here. But TED is one of those experiences. So I went to a really awesome program called Pennsylvania, covered their school for the arts as a high school student, and it changed my life. It was five weeks in Erie, Pennsylvania, dancing every day. And <laughs> they only took like 30 students per artistic discipline from across the state. It was a really competitive program. I was blessed to get there. When I tell you, Joe, that was the most humbling experience of my life, Marling, <laughs> that like, wow, there's a big world out there. There's some amazing talent out there and I need to start over fresh year. And I did that. And I met some amazing faculty and students. And one of those students, we stayed in touch all these years, right? And that we knew, like, one day she'd be on the selection committee, right, for TED, her graduate program. So she kind of bought my name up uh, during the selection conversation with the committee. And they all kind of took it from there. And so we, we had, like, one interview and then you know, they made their decision. So... I was really blessed to be part of the inaugural work. This was the first time Columbia College Chicago had ever done a TED conference stuff. Um, you know, it was a really good company too. Some of the folks I've been this with, they went on to like, right, 
you know, New York Times bestsellers and they're viral on social media and doing great work. I was really fortunate to be a part of that. And what my speech was titled was uh, Why Millennial Entrepreneurs Matter. And if I were given that speech again today, it'd be why Gen Z entrepreneurs matter. Because the whole premise of looking at the younger folks who are entering this professional arena and saying, how can we look at our tech obsession, our colliding and our impatience as positives instead of negative? And I told the story of how, like, me and other millennials are already at tech obsession, colliding Yeah. And the patients, and now, like, a lot of folks from an older generation look down upon that and said, like, this is why you guys are going to make good employees. This is why your ventures won't be successful. And I flipped that narrative on its head and said, no, these are really positive attributes that would make us really powerful, sustainable entrepreneurs one day. And here's why. And there were folks in the audience, um, a few were making some faces, right? Some were getting yep. it. <laughs> but more people were getting it for sure. And that felt like a revival. And now people were like, standing up and clapping and we were laughing together. It was just a really, really awesome experience. And you can probably hear some of that on the video, right? But there was a lot of that mutual laughter, right? It was just a conversation, not this formal presentation. So it was a really, really an enjoyable experience. I remember it was during our Easter weekend. So I was kind of by myself, you know, taking the plane for the second time in my life as a 20 something year old had only been on the plane one other time. First time ever doing that by myself. So for me, it was a really coming of age moment in that way too. But it was a little bigger than just the speech. But this was my first time being out there on my own, really being vulnerable as such in front of such a big audience because yeah. Ted reaches them so. Um, yeah, one of my fondest, proudest moments for sure. And it was eight years ago now. So yeah. and time flies so quick. Yeah, plenty of time for you to, for you to go back and do another one. I'm sure. So so. Um, and I, so I, I, we got to wrap things up here, but I know, um, you have a lot of big things coming up, but you mentioned there's a big event coming up that you guys are doing for Roger Lee arts. Um, I, I just want to give you the floor here give you anything you want to talk about, anything you want to promote website, you want people to go to all of that good stuff. Go ahead. Thank you so much for that. So yeah, Roger Lee arts is presenting two events and they kind of coincide with each other. Right. So the first is a solo painting exhibition of mine. The folks know, already may not know, obviously did that paint. Um, haven't really had a career in painting, but sell paintings uh, and commission to do original, you know, custom paintings for folks well off your Roger Lee Arts. And this is one of my creations on my wall here at home. It's the actual mural I did. So, um, you know, I've been painting for a long time too. It's all another conversation, but this is my third solo exhibition. And it's called Roger Lee Presents Mysterious. And that coincides with Roger Lee Death Company Presents Mysterious, our 18th concert series. And that's happening in Philly. Uh, that's the weekend of October 20th. And there's a second show on October 21st. And this is a really fun family-friendly production. Although it's our 18th concert series, each show has different casting for the most part, different lighting, obviously, for music and things, and definitely different theme. And this is the first time that I'm doing almost like a storied production where we actually have characters. Right? And it takes you from the beginning, a middle, and the end. So it's not as abstract as usual. But this time around, the show is simply the story of a lady's mysterious dream. And I can't give away what happens in that dream, but it's something you guys are definitely not going to want to miss. And if you're interested in learning more about that, getting tickets, donating tickets for families who may not be able to afford it financially, you can do all that online at rogerleearts.com. Awesome. And that will be down below in the description. So they'll be able to easily access all of that good stuff. Roger, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on from sparks to skyscrapers ladies and gentlemen we have a 
uh, excuse me, we have a special semester this semester because last semester, as you know, we didn't get to two episodes. We only did one. So this semester, we're going to bring you three episodes. So be on the lookout for all that in the future. Roger, once again, thank you so much. And we'll see you next time on From Sources Skyscrapers.